You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. morning. We're finishing up our series today that uh, we've been kind of focusing all month on the reality of uh, hell. And I realize that's not the most comfortable of topics for some people. So uh, some of you might be thinking, good. I mean, thank God today's the last Sunday. Uh, Before you celebrate that too much, uh, you need to be aware of what's coming next. If you watch it on the screen. So, we're not actually going to be uh, talking about hell, but we are going to talk some about the devil. And uh, the reason we need to do that, he does lie to us. He will whisper lies in your ears. He will talk lies to you. He will shout lies to you. The Bible calls him the father of lies. He's the biggest liar there is. And the thing that's so hard in distinguishing that he's lying to you sometimes is that the Bible says he appears as an angel of light also. In other words, he may show up and whisper something in your ear that sounds good, that even sounds biblical, because he loves to take Scripture and even twist Scripture around. He does it quite often in the Bible. He did it with Jesus when he was trying to uh, tempt Jesus. So I hope you'll pray about this series, and I hope you'll invite uh, family and friends to come And here's why you need to invite them to a series with this type of topic. Satan's also lying to them. He's also whispering in their ears. And guys, some of this stuff that we're going to deal with uh, over the next month, people give as almost like it's spiritual advice. Follow your heart, you know. Why would we want to follow our heart when the Bible tells us our heart is deceitfully weak and no one can know it? You know, why follow your heart? God will never put on you more than you can handle. Talk to Job. (laughs) Uh, You know, talk to the Apostle Paul and uh, and things like that. If you think you can't handle it, that's where you're making a mistake. Uh, All kinds of topics we'll deal with uh, like that. But today, though, we want to finish up this series. We've been uh, talking about uh, So You Think It's Hot. And to be honest with you, I, I hope I didn't, you know, curse us with any of this, but this week has really been hot, huh? I mean, last couple of days. Our air conditioning went out yesterday uh, for part of the day and uh, got to really uh, feel, you know, what it was like to be uh, hot. But there's a place a whole lot hotter called hell. And while we might not like to talk about it, Jesus talked about it. And if Jesus talked about it, it's something that we need to understand and deal with ourselves. What we're actually going to talk about today is is this. Our topic is hell, don't go there. And we're going to read a very familiar story for most people in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus tells a story about a place called Hades 
And that's the hell for now. A little bit of background to that before we jump into it. The Bible really gives two primary concepts of hell. There is Hades in the Bible, which some translations just translate as hell. But you need to understand something. Hades is the hell for now. In other words, if someone dies lost without Christ as their Savior, the place they go to now is Hades. The only hope anyone ever has of getting out of Hades is at the great white throne judgment when they stand before God and then they're judged and then they're cast into the lake of fire, Gehenna, the word we've already seen in this series if you've been with us some, and that's the hell for all eternity. So there's a hell for now whereby if you were to be lost and you were to die lost before your body would even lose its warmth, your soul would be in Hades. And there's a hell for all eternity, the lake of fire, The people who are being held in Hades today would eventually be cast into for all eternity. Today, Jesus is going to tell a story about a man who lives his life, and when he dies, he goes to Hades, and also a story about a man who lives his life of faith, and then when he dies, he goes right straight to a place called paradise, and I'll talk more uh, about that as we go. He doesn't go to a place called hell. He doesn't go to Hades, but he goes right to where Abraham and all the other believers were being held at that point in time. See, the Bible teaches that when Jesus died on the cross, during that time between his death and his resurrection, Jesus went into Hades. And he went there and he did this, more or less. Guys, I've got the keys. And I'm taking all of you people of faith who've been here waiting for this with me and you're leaving this place that you're in now. It was a place of paradise. They weren't there suffering. That was the other part of Hades. I think the Bible teaches there are like two compartments of Hades, a place where people are being kept that will suffer forever because they rejected God. And there's a place where those were being kept before Jesus went to the cross who by faith had accepted what God had told them. By faith, they were looking forward to the Messiah. By faith, they were looking forward to that ultimate sacrifice that would happen. Jesus went to the cross, dies, and he shows up and says, guys, here's the keys. We're going home. So that's a concept that kind of you need to have as background to this uh, story. The story I'm about to read, some people just say, well, it's a parable because Jesus is telling some parables right before this. The deal with that is this. If it is a parable, it's the only parable in the Word of God that Jesus ever calls somebody by name. I believe it's a real historical fact story that Jesus is telling. But I'm not going to split hairs over that because here's the, the big picture. If it were to be a parable and Jesus happens to use a name in it, guess what? Jesus is still telling us the truth. And if it's a real story, Jesus is telling us the truth. So whether it is a parable, like some of the verses that build up to this in Luke 16, or not a parable, either way, it's Jesus speaking, and he's given us a huge warning about a place called hell. Look at these verses. There's a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died 
and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, and this is Jesus talking, in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him Father Abraham. Let me deal with that just a second. The fact that he calls him Father Abraham, he's not saying that Abraham is his father by faith. He's his father by race, by nationality, because they were all Jews. It's being talked about in this story. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross cross from there to us, over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And then the rich man uh, said, No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. We're going to look at different aspects of this story. Jesus tells this story, and first of all, he tells us a story about two lives. About two lives. Two very different lives. Two very different experiences in this life that these two individuals live. He tells us about a rich man. The Bible told us there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. The focus of this rich man was his stuff. The focus of this rich man was buying the best clothes that money could buy. That's what he was investing his life in. You'll see that more in just a moment. The problem with this rich man and the reason this rich man, when he dies, doesn't go to heaven... It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with him being rich just because he's rich. It had to do because he had their own focus about wealth. He was like worshiping wealth. There's a progression of the story that Jesus tells in Luke 16 that deals with wealth. Look at the progression that takes place. In verse 1 through 12, Jesus tells a story about wasting wealth. And then in verse 13 through 18, Jesus tells a story about coveting wealth. And then in verse 19 through 31, and that's where we are today, Jesus tells a story about worshiping wealth. That's the issue with this rich man. He was worshiping his wealth instead of worshiping God. He was worshiping all of his stuff, trying to have the best that money could buy. And that's what he had his life tied up in. So much so was that his focus in life, he could not even pay any attention to a beggar that was laying at his gate who was starving to death, who was diseased and had sores all over his body. This rich man was so consumed in who he was and all the stuff that he had, he didn't have eyes of compassion for people who were hurting around him. Guys, there's a warning we better take from that. 
You don't matter how much God blesses us with stuff, we need to understand something. God wants us to use our stuff to help people around us. He wants us to have eyes of compassion to where we don't overlook someone that's maybe in our path. You may have a Lazarus in your path today that you need to evaluate and ask yourself what you need to do to try and help him, how you can try and minister to him in some way. This rich man could have done something to make a difference in the existence of Lazarus. He could have sent some food out there. He could have sent him maybe to see the doctors of that day and try and get him some help with the sores that he had. But this man is just totally consumed with his wealth. See, here's the deal with money. There's nothing wrong with having money. What God is concerned about is what you do with the money. That's the issue, how you treat money. As I said a moment ago, someone doesn't go to hell just because they're rich. That's not the story that Jesus is telling here. Just because somebody has money doesn't mean they're wrong. Just because they're rich doesn't mean they can't be right with God. It's how they deal with the blessings that God has given them, how they deal with that wealth. That's what God is checking out and what God is looking at. Look at some verses that we'll deal with uh, on wealth before we move on in the main story that we're looking at today. Here in Timothy, it says, for the love of money. See, a lot of people misquote this verse. You ever heard anyone say money's the root of all evil? Huh? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money. You see, God's the one that created wealth. God's the one that put all the gold and things like that that we base our financial system on in this earth whenever he created the world. God's the one that creates wealth and allows people to be wealthy. There's not anything wrong just with someone being wealthy. It's when they love money instead of loving God or loving people. He said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. In other words, if you have the wrong focus about money, if you have the wrong focus about your finances, it can affect your spiritual life. It can cause you to wander from your faith and pierce themselves with many griefs because their life is all tied up in stuff. You need to understand something about stuff. Stuff changes. Stuff goes away. A relationship with God is permanent. What should we focus on the most? Not our stuff, not our finances. Look at some more verses about wealth before we move on. Look at the next verse. Keep your lives free from money. Is that what it says? Or the love of money. Keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And here's why. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Matter of fact, when you read that in the Greek It actually says, I will never, no, never, no, never, ever forsake you or leave you. God repeats it again and again and again to make a point. Guys, instead of us worshiping our finances or loving money, we need to love God. Your finances will let you down. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's where our focus needs to be. And when we get our focus messed up, it affects our faith in a lot of other areas in our life. See, this is why Jesus said this. Look at what he said in uh, Luke 18. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? I mean, last week in the message, Jesus used a camel for an illustration, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he said, you're straining at a gnat trying to be sure you don't swallow a gnat, and the whole time you're so sensitive about these little, small, legalistic things, he said, you're swallowing a camel in the process. 
Here he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because all too often, if people don't manage wealth correctly, if they don't view it correctly, if they allow their wealth and their possessions to become their God, they are worshiping their wealth instead of worshiping God. That's why Jesus said it's hard for someone who's rich to make it to heaven because they get really self-sufficient and they think, I don't need God or anything else. I've got all this bank account, all this money, and they focus upon that instead of their relationship with God. And that's where the problem is. And that's what happened to this rich man. He was focusing upon his wealth and worshiping his wealth instead of worshiping God. And that's why we see the story uh, go on about his life here as we progress in the story. The Bible told us he dressed in the best clothes he could buy. The word for dress, and as I was doing the word stage for this message this week, it really kind of shocked me when I came across this word. The literal translation of the Greek word that's translated dressed here in the Bible means to invest. In other words, that's where he was investing his life. He was investing his life in his clothing. He was investing his life in the finest clothing he could buy, the best of styles. I mean, it'd almost be the same as today if we were to think we have to spend all of our money and buy the latest designer clothing in order to be cool or whatever. And we're spending all of our money like that and we're ignoring people that have real needs that we have a relationship with that we can make a difference to. See, he's so focused on his clothing and he has a beggar who is starving to death and who is diseased with sores all over his body right at his gate. And he had to see him. He had to know he was there. He had to walk by him. You want some evidence of him really knowing he was there? He even knows him by name. Because later on in this story, when he is in hell, the rich man is in hell, he asked Abraham to send Lazarus by name. He knew the guy's name. But he didn't care enough to try and send any food to him or to try and help him with the problems that he had in his life. This man's laying at his gate dying. You would have thought a rich man could have at least looked out there and sent a servant out with some food. Or send maybe some clothing out or something to help him. And yet we're told the only companionship that it seems this man had, this beggar had, is dogs coming around and licking on his sores. And this rich man was right there and could have made a difference in his life. Some people believe this. Some Bible theologians believe that Lazarus witnessed to the rich man at some point because later on in our story, and you'll see it when we get there, this rich man makes a request in verse 27 and 28 for Lazarus to go and tell his brothers. So that makes some people believe just maybe he had witnessed to the rich man. It's a story of two lives. First of all, you have a rich man. Secondly, you have a beggar. Man, there's a big contrast between the existence that these two people lived. The Bible says at his gate, the rich man's gate, was laid a, bag, a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores, longing to eat. What fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Look at what some of those words literally mean. Beggar talks about someone being poor, a pauper. It means someone cringing. It was figuratively used for one who is in distress. So here you've got this man at the gate of a rich man, and he's really distressed in his life. Lazarus, though, look at what his name means. 
God is helper or the one who God helps. Guys, can I tell you something? I'm, and I'm telling you the truth, I think, as much as I know my heart. If I had to choose completely between the two, I would rather know that God helps me and have a relationship with God through Christ than have all the money in the world. Because there's coming a time that all the money in the world will go away. There's coming a time that the wealth will let you down and there's going to be a new heaven and new earth and all the junk that people think is so important is going to be gone and burned up. The only thing that lasts for eternity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. God is his helper. And the Bible tells us he was laid. In other words, he couldn't walk there himself. And the word laid actually means to throw. That sounds like they had a lot of compassion, doesn't it? Maybe he had some friends or someone, and they just took him and kind of threw him at the gate, left him there. And it implies, as we read the story, that he's there often because he's there longing, just wishing he could get some food. The Bible used the word longing there, and it means to set the heart upon, to covet, to desire, to lust after. He's longing to eat. The scraps that might just fall off the table into the floor. The word means literally to gorge himself. That's how hungry he is. Think about that. He is willing to eat the trash that the man's going to throw out. He's willing to eat the table scraps that could be thrown out in the trash. It's almost the equivalent today of a street person out here going through the trash trying to find something to eat. That's how hungry this beggar was and the rich man didn't care. He could have made a difference, but he did not care because he was too tied up in worshiping his stuff instead of trying to help someone. Man, what a contrast between these two lives. Look at the contrast here. You've got a rich man, and you've got a man that's very poor, a beggar. You've got a man with nice clothes. I thought about this last message, and I didn't get into it in the first uh, service. Daryl and myself, years ago, uh, were sitting together, hearing a fellow preach uh, this passage of Scripture. And he said, where it said he uh, fared sumptuously, and he wore, <laughs> and he wore purple and fine linen every day, that that meant he bought the best underwear money could buy. That's not what it means. But uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh, but you've got a man wearing nice clothes, and you've got a man whose dress is sores. Ulcerated sores is what he's wearing on his body. You've got a man who probably had friends. We're not told that in the Bible, but you know what I have seen just by experience? Rich people have a lot of friends. Because they have parties and things like that, and everyone comes and hangs out with them. So this rich man probably had a lot of friends. This beggar had dogs. To come and hang out with him and lick his sores. You've got a man that has a full stomach because he can afford and buy all the best of food. And you've got a man that is starving to death. A man that is so hungry that he longs for, desires for, lusts after just anything that might fall off the rich man's table. Big contrast. A story of two lies. But the contrast doesn't stop there. The contrast gets even worse. Because not only do we have a story of two lives, you've got a story of two eternities in this passage of Scripture. Two eternities. Before I deal with these two eternities, can I point out the cold hard fact to you? 
the rich and the poor both die. Death comes knocking at everybody's door. And you can't cheat death and escape death just by having a lot of good stuff and a lot of money. The rich man was rich, but death came to his door just as surely as it came to the door of the beggar. Both of them died. The only way anyone escapes death is for God to translate them into heaven like Enoch or like Elijah or like when the rapture happens, if some of us are alive and Jesus comes and the trumpet blows and we're called up to meet him and we're changed in an instant and we are with him throughout all eternity, that's the only way you miss death. But death comes and knocks at every door, the rich and the poor alike. And when you die... There are two eternities that can take place. The first eternity is a comforted eternity. A comfort, and that's the eternity that the, beg, the beggar experiences. The Bible said there, the time came when the beggar died. And look what it said. The angels, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. In other words, the angels came and they ushered him straight to paradise. That's where they took him. He had suffered in this life. He was hungry in this life. He had sores in this life. And he doesn't go to paradise because he was poor. He goes to paradise because he was a person of faith. And he's ushered to where other people of faith are at. And he's taken right to the side of Abraham. And he has a comforted eternity. Jesus, if you'll read all the context of this, he's telling all this story while some Pharisees are hanging out. In verse 14, Jesus accuses the Pharisees of dearly loving money. That was their focus. <laughs> I mean, Jesus made friends with the Pharisees, didn't he? I mean, he's called them snakes and everything else under the sun. Now he starts getting on to them because they love money. That was their focus. And when Jesus tells this part of the story, it rocked the theological world of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees in that day and time had this mindset. If you're rich and you've got plenty of stuff, it's almost like the health and wealth crowd today, guys. If you're rich and you've got plenty of stuff, then that is evidence that you're right with God and God has blessed you and surely you're going to heaven. That was their mentality. And their mentality also was this. If you're like this beggar, and you're there with nothing, and you have sores all over your body, that means surely you must be a big sinner, and you're not right with God. That was their focus. So when Jesus gets to this part of the story, it's like probably the Pharisees are there expecting Jesus to say, when he starts talking about one dying, they're expecting to say the rich man went to heaven, and this poor beggar went to hell. But Jesus tells them that when the time came that the beggar died, the angels carried him to Abraham's side, and that rocked the theology of these Pharisees. That this one that was poor and hurting and lived a miserable existence actually was ushered and carried to Abraham's side. And that's what we're told about him. So you need to understand something. The main point I want you to get here is this. Lazarus went to a place of comfort. He did not 
go to hell. Because all the stuff I said a moment ago, see, that can kind of mess people's minds up. Some of you have never heard that before. Some of you have never thought about Hades and, you know, being the hell for now. And you've never been told about Gehenna being the hell for eternity. And you've never been told before about there being like two areas of the grave or Hades. And there's an area where the people were being held waiting punishment. And there's an area where people were waiting for Jesus to show up with the keys and lead captivity captive. That's what the Bible says that he did. So that can kind of, you know, maybe be heavy on your mind. You're thinking, man, that's, that's kind of deep. Well, here's the big picture I just want you to get. Lazarus died, and he went to paradise. He did not go to a place of punishment. He went to paradise. He did not go to hell. He went to a place of comfort. And then when Jesus showed up with the keys down the road, he went to heaven forever and ever. Now, to help you understand and get your theology right, you might be wondering, well, what happens to me today if I die as a saved person? Well, here's what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.8. Paul's writing, and he says, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here's what Paul says. For you and I today who know Christ as our Savior, the instant we die, we're in the presence of God. Boom. But there's a story here of two eternities, and one is an eternity where this beggar is comforted, but there's also a tormented eternity. And that's the one of this rich man. He's tormented. Let's read the verses again, and I'm going to get into them in detail. Because if there's anyone here today and, and, and that does not know Christ as their Savior, you need to understand clearly as I read this passage of Scripture and as I break it down, hell's a place you don't want to go. So the rich man also died and was buried. Look at the contrast there. <laughs> Lazarus died and the angels took him to paradise. Rich man dies and thrown in a hole in the ground, buried. And these are the words of Jesus, guys. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him and he asked, Have pity on me. He sent Lazarus with just some water to drop it on my tongue because I'm in agony in the flames and the fire that's there. And Abraham said, Look, you need to remember something. You had a good life and now you're in agony. Lazarus had a bad life, and now he's being comforted. And by the way, I can't even do what you want me to do because there's this distance that's fixed between us, and he can't come there, and you can't come here. Now, if I just read that alone by itself, that ought to be enough for anyone here to think, I don't want to go to that place. But to help you understand it even clearer, when Jesus said, in hell... The word in is a preposition in the Greek that means this. It means a fixed position. The rich man is in a fixed position in Hades, and he's not getting out until the great white throne judgment, and then he's going to be cast into the lake of fire, hell, for all eternity. Hades just means an unseen place. It's a place of departed souls. It's a hell of now where people are waiting in the final judgment in Revelation and cast into the lake of fire. That's where he was. And he's there in a fixed position. It's not like he can decide to leave. I don't like this anymore. I want to get out. He's there forever. 
And that ought to scare us enough if we don't know Christ. If someone here doesn't know Christ, for you to say, man, I don't want to go there. And if you do know Christ, you ought to be ever so thankful right now and say, thank Jesus, I don't have to go there. And if you have friends and family members that don't know Christ, you ought to be saying, we've got to do something because this place called hell is real. Now, I ought to be able to stop there and everyone saying, I don't want to go there. But I want to make it real clear. I'm going to push the point and make it real clear how terrible hell is. When we read in this passage of Scripture, we find out that hell is a place of physical torment. It's a place of literal physical torment. Jesus once again is telling this story. And he says in hell, where he was, the rich man was at, is he says where he was in torment. The same word appears in the Greek, that preposition that means in a fixed position. He's not only in hell in a fixed position, he is being tormented in a fixed position. He's tormented all the time. He's in agony all the time. There's no peace there. There's no release from it. He is there constantly being tortured. That's what the word means, torment. It's the idea of going to the bottom. It literally means a touchstone or a torture stone. Talking about some place that someone might be tied to in order to be tortured. Guys, that does not sound like a fun place to me. I don't know if someone made an announcement and said, we're going to go outside and we're going to line up. And when we line up, there's going to be a torture stone out there at the end of it. And we're going to take our turns and we're going to go and be tied to that torture stone. I don't know how many of us are going to raise our hand and say, I'm in for that. That's not fun. And yet that's what his existence was. He was in a place of physical torment. Hell is also a place of mental torment. He looked up, the Bible said, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. Imagine this. The whole time that this rich man is in Hades, he can look across the way and see paradise. He can see Abraham and he can see Lazarus. Don't you think right now the things are churning in his mind and he's thinking, man, I should have listened to Lazarus. Man, I, sh- I should have used some of my wealth to try and help Lazarus. I should have lived a different kind of life. And he's able to look over and see paradise. Think about the mental torment that he'd be going through. All the time he's there, he's suffering. And over there, man, people are having a good time. People are hanging out with Abraham. People are over there in paradise, and he's suffering. Think about the mental torment of that. And then in verse 25, Abraham replied to him when he asked, you know, for a little bit of help, a little bit of water on his tongue. Abraham replied to him, remember, remember. Think about your lifetime. Remember, in your lifetime, you received good things, Lazarus, bad things, but now he's comforted and you're in agony. He's telling this rich man, remember how you wasted all of your opportunity. Remember how you focused on your wealth. Remember how you worship your money instead of worshiping God. He said, now the table's turn. Now Lazarus, because he was a person of faith, is there with Abraham. And now you're in a place called hell suffering. He's told to remember that mental anguish of having the memory of the opportunities that he had. Because I just wonder when someone goes to hell, if they're not haunted over and over and over again, of every time they heard about Jesus, every time somebody shared the gospel with them, 
Every time they sat through an invitation and they felt something going on here and they kept pushing it off and pushing it off, I just wonder if they don't have to deal with that memory over and over and over again. Hell's also a place of agony. It's a place of fire. He said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. He is suffering so much that he says, let him just come and dip the tip of his finger, not his hand, not bring me a bottle of water. Just let him dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. You want to see how much water he would have got? I can barely even get it to come off. It's not like, well, let him give me water and let him give me water and let him give me water and let me give me more water. He's in so much pain, he's saying, just one, just let him come and just the amount of water he can get on the tip of his finger. Let him drop that on my tongue. That's how much suffering he's in. The problem with that is this. There's no compassion in hell. There's no ordering up a drink in hell. There's no saying, I need someone to come and help me in hell. Because he is there and he's in torment and he's in pain. And you also need to understand this. Hell is a place of separation. A place of separation. Besides all this, Abraham tells him, there's this big distance that's fixed between us and you. You can't come here. We can't come there. Guys, you need to understand, hell is not a place where you think you can go one day along with your friends that you've been partying with and you'll just continue to party for all time. It is a place of pain and suffering. It is a place of separation. If you die and go to hell, you will be there separated from your saved family members, from your saved friends that you know in this life. You will spend eternity separated from them. But the worst of it is this. You will spend eternity separated from the love of God. That's what hell is. And I know it's not a fun topic. And it's not a topic I enjoy bringing. But it's a topic we better pay attention to because of how terrible this place is. Jesus tells a story of two lives. He tells a story of two eternities. That's the only choices, guys. There are only two eternities. You either spend eternity in heaven because you trust in Jesus or you spend eternity in hell because you did not trust in Jesus. But I want to close the message today by kind of giving you another part of the story that's almost shocking. You need to recognize there's also a story of compassion from hell in this text that we're looking at. The rich man who is in hell, when he's told he can't get any relief from his suffering... Lazarus can't come there and drop any water on his tongue. The rich man in hell then gets a sense of urgency for his five brothers that are still alive. Notice what he says. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Man, it's almost a weird picture. You've got a person in hell who had no compassion for people evidently when he was living because he let a man who was starving to death with sores all over his body lay at his gate and not do anything to help him at all. You've got a man that lived that kind of life when he was alive. Now when he's in hell, all of a sudden he gets some compassion. And he said, I don't want my brothers to come here. This is a terrible place. This is a bad place. It's a place of agony. I don't want them to come here. Please send Lazarus to warn them. You know what the sad thing is about what I've just said? A rich man in hell in this story has more compassion than a lot of saved people in churches do today for lost people around them. God forbid that a rich man in hell would have more of a passion and more of a desire to see his family come to Christ, to see his family have faith so they don't have to spend eternity in a place called hell than what we do sometimes. Guys, if a man in hell would have that sense of urgency and that type of compassion to want to be sure no one else comes to hell, you and I that know Christ and we're still alive in this world and we can still change the destiny of people around us by leading them to Jesus, we better wake up and get some compassion and urgency in our life for people around us. I didn't think to tell this story in the first service but years ago the person that started a christian organization he was asked what would be the best training you think you could give the people that you were preparing to go out into the ministry you know, at Christmas time, and you go shopping, and there's someone there ringing bells with a pot asking you to put money in. That's what I'm talking about. The man that started their ministry and started preparing people to go out into the ministry to reach people for Christ. He was asked, What's the best training you could give them? Here's his response. If I could send them to hell for five minutes. If I could send every person that I'm helping prepare through this organization to hell for five minutes. He said, that's the best theological training I could give them. Because a person going to hell for five minutes would understand what this rich man understands. And they would come back after five minutes in hell and say, we have got to do something. We have got to reach people for Jesus. We have got to change their eternal destiny. We have got to do something. Because people really do die, and they really do go to hell, and they really do suffer for all eternity. Guys, I'm just telling you, I think sometimes the church talks about it and don't really believe it. If we would really believe that, we would get something more underneath our feet and our hands and do more ministry than we do trying to change the people around us and lead them to Christ. Look at what Abraham responds. 
Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, they've got the word of God. Let them listen to the word of God. They've got what Moses has written and what the prophets have written. And those things testify about Christ. Those things testify about a path to salvation, about faith in God. Let them read the word of God. And then he says, no, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And then Abraham responds, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You don't maybe understand how tragic and how true that last statement is. Jesus, before this passage of Scripture that we're reading this morning, had already raised somebody from the dead. And the Pharisees still didn't believe and they still didn't listen. They still refused to accept him. Jesus will raise a man by the name of Lazarus. We don't know it's the same one. But he will raise a man by the name of Lazarus who dies. And you would think based upon the theology of this man in hell, well, surely if someone raises from the dead, people would believe. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and instead of believing, they decide we've got to kill Jesus. He's got all kinds of people following him now. He raised somebody from the dead. They're listening to Jesus, and they're not listening to us, the religious leaders, so we've got to get rid of him. And then Jesus is nailed to a cross, sheds his blood for our sins, is put in a tomb, rolled the tomb in place, sealed it, put a guard there. But on the third day, Jesus took his life back up. And guess what? Jesus himself has risen from the dead, and people still are convinced that they need to believe in him. What we've talked about today is this. Hell don't go there. Hell don't go there. It's not a fun place. It's a place of permanent suffering. It's a place of everlasting separation from the love of God. It's a place of torment and agony. In flame. The Bible says Jesus said that. And you see, the thing is, God doesn't want anybody to go there. God does not want you to go to a place called hell. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he said to those on his left, Jesus is speaking again about a time of judgment. Then he said to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, notice this, prepared for the devil and his angels. God didn't make hell for you. Hell was made for Satan and his demons. But even though that's the case, when people reject Jesus, God will send people there. The irony of this story, if you read the verses that lead up to this, when Jesus is talking about, you know, putting the goats and the sheep and separating them out. These that he's saying, depart from me, you cursed in the eternal fire. Guess what? 
By their life, they didn't have compassion for people. Jesus said, you didn't come see me when I was sick. You didn't come see me when I was in prison. You didn't give me clothes when I was cold. You didn't minister to me. And they're saying, when did we not do it? And Jesus said, if you didn't do it to the least of these, if you didn't do it to that beggar by the gate, if you didn't do it to Lazarus, he said, you didn't do it to me. And he said, by living that type of lifestyle, you bear evidence that you don't really know me. Because as Christians, we're supposed to have God's love in our life, in our hearts, and use it to reach people and minister to people. And guys, sometimes before you can lead somebody to Jesus, you have to fix the hunger that's in their belly, or you have to put clothing on their back, or you have to minister to them in some way before you can build a bridge to where you can get them to Jesus. Because they might not can hear what you're saying about Jesus as long as they're hungry and cold. Jesus says people that don't care anything about people that are hurting like that, the least of these. He said, you might as well have not done it to me. Billy Graham said this. Hell was not prepared for man. God never meant that man would ever go to hell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But man rebelled against God and followed the devil. Hell is essentially and basically banishment from the presence of God for deliberately rejecting Christ as Lord and Savior. The rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. The poor man did not go to heaven because he was poor. The rich man went to hell because he worshipped his wealth and he did not receive a relationship with God. He was not a person of faith. Anyone that goes to hell today, if you go to hell, it will be simply because you rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. If you go to heaven, it's not because of the things you've done or the things you've experienced or not experienced in your life. If you go to heaven, it is simply because you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and you have received Him instead of rejecting Him. God does not want you or anyone else to go to heaven. Last passage of Scripture is this. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved. That's what God desires. That's what God wants. He wants all men to be saved. He wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. And then he says this, as Paul writes to Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator. Here's what a mediator does. A mediator works between the scenes, between one person and another person to bring them together. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The only hope you have and I have is that Jesus paid for my sins and your sins on the cross. He's a mediator that gets us to God. He's our only chance, our only hope, our only possibility of escaping a place called hell. Hell is not a place that you want to go. Let's pray. Father, Lord, first of all, most of all, right now, I pray if there's someone in this place that does not know Christ as their personal Savior, that right now you'll make them extremely uncomfortable 
God, that you'll help them to see the reality of a place called hell. And right now, you would give them the faith that they need to believe that Jesus opened the door to heaven when he died on the cross, that Jesus paid for all of their sins when he died on the cross. And he took his life back up to show it was true. God, I pray there's anyone here that needs to trust in Jesus, that you'll give them the faith right now to do it. Father, I pray for those of us that know for sure we're on our way to heaven because we have trusted in Christ. Lord, I pray right now during this time of decision and invitation time that those of us that know Christ will celebrate in our hearts what He's done for us. That we'll offer thanksgiving to You during this time because You have saved us from such a place called hell. But Father, also I pray that those of us who already know Christ will wake up to the reality that we have family members and friends and acquaintances that are headed to a place called hell if we don't get them to Jesus. So Father, drop a burden in our hearts right now. Help us to evaluate if we have a beggar in our pathway, a Lazarus in our life that we need to minister to. God, help us to be willing to use the money that you bless us with. Not just consume to ourselves, but to make a difference in the lives of others. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Why would anyone want to go to a place called hell? And I want you to think about it in these terms, and maybe it'll make it clear for you if you're someone here today that does not know for sure you have a relationship with Christ. Imagine right now you are right over the flames of hell, and you are about to be dropped there for all. And you see a nail scarred hand reach out to rescue you from that fall. If you were literally right now about to fall into hell and Jesus reached out his hand for you, would you not grab his hand? Sure you would. And the reality of it is this, guys. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are in danger of that place. You have no guaranteed time beyond today. You have no guaranteed time beyond right now. I said that in the first service. In Margot, I saw her shake her head, yes. Because Margot's lost two of her children unexpectedly in life. Thank God they both already knew Christ as their Savior. But I'm telling you, you have no idea when death might knock on your door. And if you don't know Christ, you ought to get that right before you leave today. And that's not me being down on you or any other else, you know, anybody else here being down on you. Guess what? I deserve to go to hell. Everybody here deserves to go to hell. The only reason we will not go there is because of Jesus, not us. 
And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I promise you the people here that do know Christ, they're praying for you right now that you'll receive Him. Because He's reaching His hand out to rescue you. And I tell you what, I'd grab that hand as fast as I could. If you already know Him, maybe you need to come today and pray and say, God, help me to reach the people around me. Because there is a real place called hell. The band sings, Daryl, myself will be at the front if we can help in any way. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.